This is Akpod. I'm Erin Ransford, and I'm here with our host, Dr. Ismail Nabil. Dr. Nabil is an associate professor in the Department of Environmental Medicine and Public Health at the Icon School of Medicine. He is a fellow of the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine, serves on the ACOM Board of Directors, and chairs ACOM's Council on Scientific Affairs. Today is May 11, 2023. On today's episode, Dr. Nabil and I discuss the end of the public health emergency of COVID-19. Hi, Dr. Nabil. It is wonderful to talk to you today. How are you? Oh, thanks, Erin. I'm good. Well, today is May 11th, and it is officially the end of the public health emergency for COVID-19. I cannot believe that. I am looking at the declaration that came out from CDC declaring the end of the federal COVID-19 public health emergency. And I'm completely sort of shocked, overjoyed as well. And also reflecting on the past three, three and a half years that we have been through. We've come a long way. A lot has happened in some aspects. It feels like it was quick and others, it just kind of feels like it's been going on forever. For me and you, I think we were in the midst of COVID-19 and have been together for many years now Yeah, doing the podcast. So it's definitely a surreal, unreal moment in time that we can see this. Yeah, it's kind of like we use the podcast to document our collective education on how to handle this unknown disease, this virus, this pandemic. And, you know, what is it? How do we deal with it? What's the response from the government and from medical providers and the community? And every time we talked, there was something new that we were learning or discovering or some new recommendations for guidance. And I'm sure we look back, some of it's laughable now because now we know more and hindsight is twenty twenty, as they say. It's definitely a journey, which uh, if I reflect back on it, there are millions of lives lost and a lot of courageous people have devoted time, energy into helping the pandemic. A lot of amazing research came out of this and set the stage for more to come a lot of scientists, doctors, healthcare professionals involved in responding to this effort. Our own community, occupational medicine, environmental medicine experts have been on the front lines. I think we cannot fathom this moment in time that we're seeing the end of a federal COVID-19 public health emergency. Well, just because the public health emergency isn't over doesn't mean COVID is over. Yes, well said. We have a lot to do again and more to come, of course. But just to mobilize the population at that level, it's historic. We have moved through history. I think we are living in historic times. And I think that's something that we will take with us for the rest of our lives. So I'm grateful to all who helped all of us to get to this stage. So what does that mean now that the federal emergency has ended? Well, it means a variety of things. I think a lot of the requirements and mandates are going to be officially lifted. I think it means we're going to lose some of the coverage for free shots and free tests. Those programs will probably go away. I think individual insurers will continue to cover probably some tests for a certain amount of time. I mean, I'm a little concerned how this will affect any future campaigns for getting booster shots, which I think it seems like we're moving into kind of an annual booster shot program like we try to do in this country for the flu. And I think that we are looking at COVID as a respiratory illness similar to flu. And the campaigns that we are running for flu definitely will help 
guide us how to address COVID in a working population. COVID-19 vaccines continues to be available. There's going to be a simplified version of how the vaccines are given. There's no longer a requirement to get primary series anymore. We can only one dose of bivalent vaccine will be enough in terms of making sure that the person is completely immune against the disease. Oh, so if somebody has never had a COVID vaccine, they would skip the primary series and go right to the bivalent booster? Yes, that's a recommendation coming out from the recommendation panel. Oh, that's a big step. Yeah, more to come on this, of course. That has to be approved and verified. And then finally, we will get that cleared. But simplification of vaccination is definitely a major step into making this vaccine available widely and protecting more people. The percentage of American adults that actually received a bivalent booster is pretty low, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely dismal. I think part of the reason is uh, many, many reasons for this apathy in terms of getting vaccine. But again, the education, how complicated it is to be, in short, fully vaccinated, I think we need to simplify the matter even further, making sure that only one or two steps need to be taken to get fully vaccinated. And I think that's happening moving forward. One of the things that is challenging is the vaccine availability as we draw down COVID-19 emergency declaration. What does that mean in terms of vaccines availability or continued access? As per CDC, we will continue to have access to COVID-19 vaccine, but it seems like as we do for flu, individual employers and entities will be purchasing vaccine to be mass distributed to the employee population that they serve. Kind of similar model that flu has. So will we still need to carry around our little paper cards? And most of our dance cards are pretty full at this point if we've gotten all the all this series. Well, in some instances while traveling, I think some countries have, again, implemented such measures that you need to show your card or at least notify that you've been vaccinated. So I think that requirement will continue to a certain extent for traveling. But I think in U.S. in general, I see a kind of decline in terms of requiring vaccination to be on the job or to start to work. One of the things that I'm looking at is the fall season where the school starts. And I think that's where we see more interesting requirements that might be dropped. I know that the city of New York has dropped that requirement for full vaccinations for the people to work. So I think similar kind of setup, we might see other levels like school and other institutions. More to come, of course. The home test that has been very well utilized by the general public is no longer a free test anymore. We have to pay for the test. So if you want to get tested at home, you have to buy the test. That's a change from before because prior to this, it was covered the treatments uh, like Paxlovid continue to be available. And one of the challenges is the, the treatment cost. I think uh, for now, the treatment like Paxlovid, which is Pfizer product, will remain available for free till the supplies last, actually. Right, right. After that, the price will be determined by the manufacturer. So this is a change in terms of how we address acute illness. Yeah. I mean, I suppose there's some concerns for members of the population that don't easily have access to healthcare services or don't have the funds available to do continuous testing or to get treatment, particularly the uninsured populations. You have highlighted a very important point. So underserved, uninsured population and working population, I agree, have limited access to healthcare. 
especially having health insurance, is not readily available to them, that coverage of a drug that could be life-saving after the COVID infection, that availability is compromised for certain individuals. And I, I think that will have impact on many services like hospital services and even clinics, which serves this underserved population. So I think personally, I, I feel that the coverage needs to be offered for individuals who are unable to afford the medication. I mean, doing workplace booster drives is great, but that's only going to affect a portion of the population that needs it. Yes. So so employer has a very important role that they can play here post-pandemic as they have driven infection rate within their institutions or workplaces down. One of the reasons is that they are proactively vaccinated the employees early on to prevent a flu epidemic or COVID epidemic. And I think that certainly these institutions can continue to play that role post-COVID emergencies because that's the best way to reduce the infection rate among the employee population. The problem I see in subset of working population who are not working under a specific employer, for example, gig workers who are not under a certain employer to get offered such a service. We also have a subset of workers who work in uh, restaurant industries, at homes, as cleaners, as construction workers, freelance construction workers. Those individuals might not benefit from lack of coverage. And we have seen that such populations are more vulnerable to get infection. And we have seen it in, in New York City, where underserved populations are more at risk of developing infection, uh, spreading infection. Household infection is also high in that group of individuals. So that's where we need to be cognizant of and, and targeted in our approach, a public health approach to minimize the transmission of infection as this emergency has been called off. So how does this affect the data that the government's able to collect? The couple of metrics that uh, CDC collects will continue to remain the same. The hospital admission data that CDC collects for data and surveillance will be collected through April of 2024, and that will provide some consistency in terms of data collection. It will shift to weekly reporting from May 11th onwards. I mean, really, the only thing they can truly report now is COVID-19-related deaths, correct? Yes. It's been hard to get an accurate case count with the influx of the at-home tests and people not self-reporting. But as a cause of death, I think that's still something that's recordable. Correct. So two metrics like hospital admissions and deaths is reported by hospitals into the system are considered more of a indicators of how things are going. They're definitely lagging indicators in both settings because by the time a person gets really sick or die of the disease, it does not help us understand quickly the extent of the transmission. But those two metrics continue to be a very strong metrics to understand how the COVID disease is evolving. What would your recommendations be for an occupational health provider with the lifting of the public health emergency for COVID? I think the fundamentals remains the same, right? It hasn't changed much for us as occupational environmental medicine experts. We have leveraged resources to develop some really good way to address vaccinations in our employee population. So those fundamentals will remain the same. As we vaccinate individuals for flu, we will continue to advocate and help vaccinate individuals for both COVID and flu. The question really remains is how 
vaccines delivery will continue to evolve. There's some new vaccine on the horizon, like uh, with nasal vaccines potentially getting available if it musters through the FDA. And nasal COVID-19 vaccine might be a next generation vaccine that could be effective enough to be approved through FDA. So those modes of vaccination might also diversify the way that we vaccinate a population, employee population in a certain subgroup. We also have to look at the vaccine efficacy and the longer lasting vaccine efficacy in the long run, because at this time, before the emergency ended, we were looking at how to minimize or stop COVID-19 disease as early as possible. But from this point onwards, I think the emphasis is going into how efficacious the vaccine is. Can it not only prevent deaths, but also reduce symptoms and reduce transmission? These are the questions that we'll be asking continuously. And I think more and more people will be looking at the fact that we need to develop effective, really good vaccines that can address issues that people have. Most individuals don't want to take vaccines because it does not prevent the symptoms of the disease and they they still get infected with it. So that's one element of vaccination. Different forms of vaccine will definitely help broaden our way to find different people who are more comfortable with different forms of vaccine administration. We also have to understand that this changing variance of COVID-19, which has been certainly a very, very important topic as the pandemic has evolved. And as per CDC website, the wastewater surveillance and genomic surveillance will continue to remain in place. And I think for occupational environmental medicine experts, that is a good resource to track transmission or viral mutations and to pivot to the fact when we see a surge compared to a decline in in the cases. More things to think about post-pandemic, for sure. Does the end of the public health emergency affect the availability of federal funding for COVID-19 research? Or do you know? <laughs> Good question. I think that's a challenge that we all will face, right? There are lots of unknown questions about COVID, from vaccine efficacy, transmission, to mutation of the virus, to impact on individuals with underlying conditions. We also have seen long COVID. So there's a lot of unanswered questions that I don't think have been answered well. We know a lot more than we knew three years back, but I think there's still a need for continued research, long-term research, actually, in terms of understanding of how virus has impacted us in certain ways. And not just the virus itself, systems as well. I mean, do, do you think that we've successfully created an infrastructure to handle a future pandemic or epidemic? That's a tough question to answer for sure. I think we have learned a lot from this experience, but we certainly have to invest in the institutions that help us look at the next pandemic in a different way, in, in a much more efficient and focused way. We have to invest on messaging. We have to address how we allow people to get their information and then make a decision that helps public health response. We also have to be more transparent in terms of how we address vaccines-related challenges that has come on. Then I, I, I think there's more work to be done in that area that will certainly help us with a better pandemic response in the future. Unfortunately, this won't be our last pandemic. I'm always an eternal optimist, so I always I guess say... I a realist. <laughs> <laughs> I always say that we 
uh, as humanity will will continue to make strides and do better in terms of helping each other and helping all of us. I hope so. There's been some good things that have come out of the pandemic if we can attempt to look at a silver lining. And one of those, I think, is a greater acceptance of telehealth and that being covered by insurance and, you know, not requiring people to go physically in to see a doctor or provider in person. I'm hoping that some of that will continue. That I think was a greatly beneficial thing to a lot of people that weren't otherwise able to come in or if it wasn't safe because of potential transmission to go into a provider's office. Developed over time, but on our phones could inform us if we were, you know, potentially exposed. And I mean, everybody carries a small tracking device with them everywhere they go now. And I think that's only going to increase as we move toward a greater smart future with all the AI and, and devices and things that everybody is attached to. Certainly, there's a lot of things that has changed. Work from home is a big uh, sure, driver yeah, that too. after COVID. And we are looking at hybrid models of workers working both from home as well as working from the office. So it's no longer required for you to be physically present in the office to do a good work. So for most jobs, of course, that's not true for, for all most jobs. jobs right? <laughs> and so that change itself is eye-opener for all of us who has the ability to work from home as well as work from the office. But that's not true for many individuals who work in the field and have to be there. Sure. All of our frontline workers. But we, we learned who those people are during the pandemic, pretty much. Uh, absolutely. And so and the, those are the vulnerable population that I, they are. I, I, I think we need to be cognizant of, of target. And I think they could be sentinel uh, in terms of our understanding of a new wave of COVID variants coming. And I, I think that model of public health surveillance is not developed very well because we, we don't have a good understanding of those individuals being connected to healthcare the way we want them to be. So again, it's an interesting times that we are in. Indeed. And where we go from there. Yeah, I guess it's sort of bittersweet. Of course, I'm glad this is over. It just doesn't feel like it's really truly over, but it does feel like it is a step to declare the end of the public health emergency for COVID-19. I hope that the future is remarkably bright and learning from this experience help us cope with any future threats that we might face in the future. But uh, this is certainly a somber moment for me to reflect on. Yes. Well, as always, thank you very much, Dr. Nabil, for an excellent conversation. And I'm sure there'll be more to come. Uh, there's more to come, yeah. We will continue to have COVID conversations depending on how things change and evolve. But thank you, Aaron, for being part of this journey for, with me. Thank you. It's been a ride. Absolutely, yeah. No question. Thank you. Thank you for listening to OcPod. For more information on COVID-19 vaccines and other immunizations, please visit acomvaxinfo.org.